podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. He is Josh Landy. Hello, Josh. Boyd, good to see you on this Sunday evening. It's it's uh, fireworks night. So there's a few fireworks going on outside my window, and there were certainly fireworks in the match yesterday. Sorry about that. That was a bit of Alan Partridge. Um, but there were, and the fireworks are continuing today. The ramifications, the um, implications of the extraordinarily controversial refereeing decisions yesterday in the May match at Newcastle. It's all happening because Arsenal put out a statement today. So there's lots of dis- to discuss with our guest, Tim Payton. Hi, Tim. Hello there. Regular uh, staunch guest on the podcast for years and years and years now. Uh, but we haven't had you on for a while, Tim. When was the last time you were on? Remember? First time this season. So First time this season. Back. Yeah. Season debut. Yeah. Um, shall we start with this news that Arsenal... So basically... As everyone knows, there was a triple threat VAR um, controversy yesterday about the Newcastle goal, um, and Arteta went bonkers, I think it's fair to say, afterwards to all the different um, media outlets and said it was a disgrace and embarrassment and is embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. So Arsenal today put out a statement, which well, I'll read it, I'll read it out. Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening. We'd also like to acknowledge the huge effort and performance from our players and travelling supporters at St. James's Park. The Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. PGMOL urgently needs to address the standard of officiating and focus on action, which moves us all on from retrospective analysis, attempted explanations and apologies. We support the ongoing efforts of Chief Refereeing Officer Howard Webb and would welcome working together to achieve the world-class officiating standards our league demands. Now, I'll ask Tim and Joshua what you think in a sec. My take is, for what it's worth, I think I, I was quite happy for Mikel Arteta to be to lose it to lose it yesterday in the in the I think it's absolutely fair enough. There were definitely some decisions that I completely disagreed with, and it was a hugely infuriating game to lose one nil um, when I think a draw would have been a fair result, and we kind of played in a very you know strong attritional way, although we didn't create much. So the the fury and frustration that they scored that goal and there were so many things for VAR to check and there were so many controversies. It was on top of the goal being allowed, of course. And I think for me, the key mistakes were, I think the foul on Gabriel was a foul. And I think the Grimarish assault, which was with his forearm, not elbow, and we were therefore told for some reason, apparently that means it wasn't violent enough to give him a red card. I thought that was a red card. Right. But and so I, when Mikel Arteta was interviewed afterwards, and I did, I thought it was what was what, what I think was slightly odd was he ranted and raved about, which I kind of support. I thought that's fine, but he didn't really nail down what thing particularly specifically about the goal he was furious about. He just was like general fury, seemed a bit unfocused, if I'm being honest. And then today, 
for this um, statement to come out, and I think it's fine, the club support him fine, but all I'd say is, I think everyone else in the world of football is going to see this statement and go, well, it's not like the Spurs-Liverpool situation where that was a factual error and they fucked it up in the communication of the VAR with the on-field referee and the, and the people in the in Stockley Park that was an absolute factual mistake and we've had a couple we've had one you know some of those we've had actual factual errors when it comes but this was not that whatever you think these were subjective and 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 for me like the the, the proof that they you can argue over all these points is that on sky you know they didn't really Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville or whoever didn't think it was a foul on Gabrielle that led to the goal. They did think the ball went out and then it became clear that you, you, no one can be certain about that. And we can't be certain about the offside element either. And they kind of even hedged their bets about the Grimoresh foul with the, the, the forearm foul. Um, and which I was very surprised about because I mean, that was an obvious red card, but anyway, they, and when, if you listen to it on, I've listened to it on five live, the coverage on five live. And what's interesting is the narrative is totally different on five live on five live. Chris Waddle was the pundit and he completely thought the goal should have been disallowed. He thought it was an absolutely a foul, um, on Gabe, Gabrielle. And he thought Grimoresh was lucky to escape the red card. And their narrative on five live was completely like Arsenal have absolutely been robbed. But in the end, I think today in the cold light of day, they, there's still the admission that this is a subjective situation and not an absolute factual situation. What do you think, Tim? Gosh, where to unravel all of this? I think people should have listened when I was waging my solo campaign not to have Paul introduced. Because it hasn't made anyone happier, has it? And it hasn't improved the experience in the stadium. And actually, you nailed it in that intro, Boyd. The reason it hasn't is because these are subjective decisions. And all you do when you take a bit of time to look, look at a subjective decision is increase the sense of injustice and conspiracy. I think it was easier to live with a guy on the field while 22 people hurtled around him trying to do his best, often while those 22 were cheating as much as they possibly can. And there was an awful lot of cheating by players on both sides yesterday. Um, but there's an expectation that it should be correct. And I don't know how it can be because you cannot say there were three major incidents yesterday because there was also the Havertz tackle, yeah. which, you know, that was damn near it a red, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, or, you know, and that's why I kind of poo-poo all these ridiculous people saying it's a conspiracy because if it was a conspiracy, then the people paid to enact this damned conspiracy would have sent him off there, wouldn't they? Because they wouldn't have really, you know, wouldn't have shown that much was going wrong. Um, but all of the issues you raise, they are subjective. Now, you can make a view that they're all 70-30 or 80-20 subjectives, but they are all subjective. And we are supposed to be working, aren't we, on the view that you only intervene if it's a clear error, a really clear and obvious error, not at all subjectively it might have been an error. Um, I'm sure the outrage about our goal is compounded by the feeling that there were three different incidents added together. Yeah, completely. Um, although, God, if I get off the back of one of my rants, if Arsenal want to have a dig about the quality of the officiating and VAR, why didn't Arsenal support the extra money going in for the semi-automatic, mm. you know, the VAR, the VAR yeah. automatically? Yeah. Why don't Arsenal support more cameras being in the grounds if you had a camera watching the goal line you wouldn't have had to look at an angle 
20 degrees off and try and work it out. And why aren't Arsenal supporting, which is what I've always said, if we have to have this damn VAR, play the decisions live with the audio as the decision has been made in the stadium. That in itself brings a huge amount of accountability, doesn't it? Because the people making the decision realise they are having to communicate their thought process to the people watching, including in the stadium. So come on, Arsenal, don't play this populist bullshit and kind of put out a statement, which is a little bit what all the managers do, which is, oh, look, over there. Um, And if you really want to make a genuine contribution to the debate, there are several things you you could have done and you can do to improve VAR. And if I end my little rant, that's something which I know because I do listen to you every week, Boyd, I know will make your heart jump a little bit. But if the damn goalkeeper Mm. hadn't flapped at the cross, we wouldn't have had the whole VAR issue at all. Now, I I understand that Mikel Arteta isn't going to come out and say that his goalkeeper was unacceptable, but isn't it a bit harsh to say that the referee is unacceptable? Human beings will make errors on the football pitch. And the goalkeeper made a big one. Completely. I, I absolutely agree. It was a total flap. And I think the bit about the statement that I think is unwise, shall we say, is this bit about the Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. To kind of start a kind of a, a bit of a lecture and a bit of a competition between referees making mistakes and players making mistakes. It's like, well, the immediate response to that, they've given PGMOL a way out there because the PGMOL replied to that as well. Your players contributed to that goal because they fucked it up, particularly yeah. the goalkeeper. Uh, totally. and, you know, if, if, if I just come off my other long run, because obviously... I'm here, I'm here in my own capacity, but, you know, I'm a member of the Arsenal Supporters Trust. That word supporters, who are mentioned in that status, we all deserve better. Well, yes, Arsenal, we do deserve better. Let's have you raising your voice about the fact that the fans that did go to Newcastle, could none of them would have had a clue what went on because they're up in the gods. Mm. Let's have you talking about why we haven't got safe standing at the Arsenal where we deserve better or getting a pint at half-time where we deserve better, or not putting on more European football we don't want to watch, or getting us more tickets when we get to the cup final. But in a way, isn't it encouraging that Arsenal now feel they can use their voice to call for better for football supporters? I'm going to be waiting with bated breath for all the statements coming in the next few weeks. Indeed. Josh, do you... Do you do you well, think I, don't, I don't know that we need me on the podcast today. <laughs> this has been terrific. I've enjoyed just listening to you. I was a bit embarrassed, if I'm honest, about the uh, statement that was put out because it's exactly that. You could potentially understand the, the line of thinking if, and I say, uh, you know, if and not a definite, what happened to Liverpool had happened to us. Mm-hmm. It was factual, and you mentioned that it's happened to us. North Brentford yeah. last year, the, the lines were wrong with, with the offside. This one was not conclusive in any way watching it i was like we're going to get away with this because there's you know it's like three chances when you go to the fun fair and you you pick it you're going to win a prize you're going to win something here and they just mm. <laughs> didn't find us one um the ball being out actually probably r- gives everyone food for thought on how on earth is that a possibility? How can we not know if a ball is it? Mm-hmm. That, that technology has been around for ages. Why can't we just, for the sake of the multi-million pound football game we have, you know, that is a camera on in four areas of the pitch just to worry about, you know, that. That seems ludicrous that that doesn't exist. And it might have helped us. It might not have. None of us know. The push... Well, being, being sports had their, had their 
technology look at it, didn't it? And it, and it was a tiny sliver of the ball seemed to uh, be over the line. So they, they, their, their deduction using their own technology, and who knows how it was that the ball did not fully was not fully out. Yeah, but I can understand from what we saw and what VAR presumably yeah. had, yeah. they couldn't, and they couldn't definitively saw. give it yeah. because you'd have had Newcastle fans up in arms and going, how on earth can you say that is definitely out? The one we had the opportunity on was was the hands. And when you see it in slow motion, and I think they said it in the in the commentary, once you sort of see the two hands, you, you think you've got an amazing opportunity. But none of it was definitive where it can justify that kind of statement going out. Um, and I like to think even of those three odd thousand away fans that went, none of them felt they needed a, I don't know how many of them felt they needed the club to put out a statement. I was wondering what Tim thought about how this almost tells us how Arteta's viewed. It makes him look very powerful. I think this is, you know, I think it's probably been dictated by Arteta or the football department. Can't believe the sort of corporate football mind would put this out. It also reads, the final sentence reads like someone's, like a bit more rational has got hold of it because it moves into um if you like the constructive bit but it also contradicts itself we support the ongoing efforts of chief refereeing officer howard webb well you've just spent the previous paragraph saying that the refereeing standards don't match the best in the world like everything else the premier league is but then you support howard webb and then you say you welcome working together to achieve the world-class officiating standards our league demands well, I listed a few things they can do there, including paying for some better cameras um, and, and so on. But it, it's a right hodgepodge. This has been done to support Mikel Arteta. Yeah. yeah. yeah and maybe there's no harm in that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It may be slightly sinister when, yeah. you know, we all know that, you know, Fergie and Wenger used to play different tricks around referees. And it's a, there was a lot to be upset or questioned yesterday. But there's no doubt as well that Mikel Arteta, like every manager, will grasp the referee as an opportunity not to actually talk about the performance of your centre-forward or your £60 million enigma. We might have had a slightly better game, but it's all relative compared to what we've seen this season. And your goalkeeper. But of course, look over there, look over there, look at the terrible referee. Mm. Don't mention Mm. the players I picked. It's the classic kind of game of that going on. But I think what we'll see now, because I laughed at Liverpool when they did it, because I thought, hang on a minute, guys, this is just not like, you've got to accept when the game's over, that's what's happened. It's kind of like the, the, the sport falls apart without that. And I thought the Liverpool statement was ridiculous. And here come Arsenal. But I expect what we'll see now, it's kind of become the thing to do. I'll bet you by the end of the season, 10 clubs have done this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think your point you made right at the beginning of that just now was was true. That, you know, it doesn't, I think it's fine. It's a tactical, it's a tactical deployment of a statement by Arsenal to show their support for the manager who went off on one after the game. And I think it, I think it's totally understandable his reaction because let's face it, he have, he would have had, as you said, Josh, the three, because there was the three pronged doubt that VAR, and of course there was really a fourth with possible handball as well, by the way, which they didn't even seem to mention, but because it seems so incredible and unlikely that all three possible issues with the goal were um were dis- would would decided hadn't broken any rules definitively by the VAR people watching that watching those back that you could see that seems extraordinary because it's pretty rare isn't it that you get such a long intervention and an analysis of these three different elements of the goal and then then the goal being allowed and again I go back to what I was listening to on five live they were incredulous 
Chris Waddle was absolutely incredulous that none of these things, none of these things meant the ball meant the goal was disallowed. Um, so I can totally understand Arteta's reaction. And I kind of thought it was great that he to see him riled up. You know, I think Jamie Carragher said on Sky, no, I loved seeing him riled up. And the fans will appreciate we all, I appreciate his commitment. But you but equally, he has to take, you know, some of the blame for the goalkeeper. As we've said, situation. Which is, this is becoming. I know we mention it every single week, but it's coming. It's still like bothers me so much that we've needlessly gone in for this whole goalkeeping situation with Raya. And, and that I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, you know, for me, Raya was totally at fault for that goal. And you know, I'm not sure how many situations. Um, you know, our our previous goalkeeper was totally at fault for any particular goals. You know, this this season or the end of last season. And then the whole kind of. Um, Waiting, waiting this long, and then putting out this statement. He, when in the cold light of day, I wonder if you did sit down. If PJ Moel could easily sit down with Arteta, go through these decisions, and say these these are reasonable, actually reasonable decisions. And then where does that leave his his kind of anger and fury? Do you know what I mean? It seems it seems that seems slightly misguided to me. But you know, I'm not massively bothered by it. But it seems slightly misguided that we've gone down this route. Josh, but that's Go that's the problem. This is this is goes back to my why I don't like VAR because I'm convinced if you go back like watching that goal in real time, you know, I thought, oh shit, we've let in a goal. You know, it looked mm. to me like two players had jumped and kind of cut for the ball. You know, I'm not thinking. No one was thinking about offside, were they? Until it said VAR was checking it. And if I think that in like if you like the old days of seventy, you know, the last hundred years or whatever. In real time, that would have been kind of accepted as a goal. Um, and you might have been a bit grumpy or looked at the players going up for the header and was it a foul. But this sort of, this VAR thing, if I step back from this incident, which I hate, it's no longer a goal anymore, is it? It's the ball going in the net and you have to wait for VAR to try and find a reason why the why it is or isn't given. And yeah. it's killed the spontaneity and it's only introduced this thing that like on Tuesday after the game on Saturday or Sunday, you're still talking about whether or not a subjective decision was right because you expect, if you right. like, the, 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 the sort of cold blood, cool head analysis in a video room to have got it right. But it can't get it right. I, I did what you did today and tried to look at feeds that weren't Arsenal feeds and you know, there's some people winding up, but there's no absolute hundred percent that that was a factual mistake to award that goal on any of those incidents. Just like there's no hundred percent on the Kai Havertz or the or the Bruno kind of incident. Ah, well, uh, I, it's I, not I, I making would... any of us happier. I think it's not making any of us happy. That's true. I am most ang- I think the Bruno Grimarish foul is 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 an absolute clear and I'm absolutely hundred percent red card for me well i think so the kai havertz the two possible red card i think kai havertz is debatable you've seen them given as the cliche goes you've seen players sent off for that but it was there was the trading leg issue i didn't think but i I think actually gary neville agrees with this as well gary neville he thought he didn't think that was necessarily definitively a red card for havertz but he did think grimarch's the thing about grimarch is that is an assault there's no the the ball there's no ball to be won he's literally taking the opportunity to whack Jorginho around the head and that for me is absolute 100% obvious violent conduct so that I'm much angrier that's the thing to get angry about and if if he in the press conference last night by the way Arteta had gone the thing I'm most angry about is that 
then I think you, you, if they've really foregrounded that, because to to what is the P, what is the PGML thinking? I want to see the explanation for that. For them going what this whole apparently Sky quoted them about the whole thing about it wasn't an elbow, it was a forearm. So it's, it's fine to be violent with your forearm now. So just yeah. people, everyone forearming other players in the face now from now on. That's okay, is it? Because they're really well, saying that that's bullshit. So well, that. Yeah is the one they should have focused on. But he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the three-pronged Gisselau goal, I believe, Josh, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, <clears throat> not sure. Have we seen him that angry before? It did feel like the, no. the angriest, didn't yeah. it? Um, and I think you mentioned it in the very opening of this podcast. It was frustrating because I think we even said it on the last podcast, it was a game just don't lose it. Just yeah. go and get a point. It's a tough game. Just keep some momentum um, going. And there wasn't a lot in the game. I think come the end of the game, they showed it on Sky. Our XG was 0.6 something. Mm. Mm. That leads back to Tim's point that I said it could have been talking about the lack of opportunities that, that we created. So I think there's just huge sense of frustration. You know what? Even if Guimaraes had been sent off, doesn't mean we'd have you know necessarily you know got got a win or mm, or, well, or necessarily sure. got a positive result. I, it was just huge, a huge frustration. Carragher said it in the straight after the game about how he wouldn't mind seeing his manager like that. And there are positives, mm. but I think they've gone, you know, a bit far today in, in how strong that they've gone. But equally, the Havertz one is a classic football cliche of an orange one. Could have gone and we could have been down to 10 men and then, you know, we're in a very different game. And also, you know, what that does to Havertz, because you feel that Havertz was running around a bit desperate to make an impact yesterday, and it's not going his way in front of goal or creatively, and I almost thought he's trying to show a physicality because he's possibly been criticised for looking a, a bit lightweight for someone mm. of, of his size. So could have actually been, you know, e even worse in a way yesterday. I think if, you know, if Havertz had also got sent off, what that damage does to him, because he's been so loyal to him as he has to the well, keeper, that, and it's yeah. been mentioned, right? The, the Raya's positioning it, yeah. it is under big, big questioning the flap. And let's not forget it before, as Martin Keown articulated on Match of the Day last night, you know, Gabrielle's horrible sliced clearance and decision to wait for it to fall on his left, deal with the danger and put it out of play with his right is also awful. And, yeah. and Ben White doesn't shine himself, you know, where his positioning is before. So there's loads of errors that lead to that goal, which I guess make it just an incredibly, you know, frustrating, um, you know, evening for him. So, um, yeah, just, yeah, and, just so disappointing. And just, and Tim, even moving beyond the whole, the whole kind of con these controversial decisions, there were things about the performance. I thought, so looking back at it on, on, on performance wise, I mean, I actually didn't think we played. I thought we. I thought it was like a kind of attritional power play kind of game, wasn't it? Rather than oh, the, you know, the, the the XG showed how you know both 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 sides. Neither side really had hardly a shot on goal. And on one level, I I think we still played well within that within that limitation um, of them of New. And I think Newcastle almost played like the away team and kind of were, you know, kind of, kind of letting them, letting us come onto them a lot. It was just, it was not, it was not a game of free-flowing creative football. But I did think like when Trossard came on and started taking corners, the corners were terrible, you know, for the last 10, 15 minutes. There was a horrendous foul throw. These classic Arsenal, you know, kind of mistakes and errors 
that you thought we could, we kind of like got rid of, but I don't think we, but clearly from that game we have, they contributed to the fact that we didn't manage to hardly create any chances at all. And I think, you know, Arteta has to get, except, and we obviously we've got injuries, et cetera, which, which I think would have been different, but we didn't really, we did, definitely did not create much. And Saka and Martinelli were kept incredibly quiet by Newcastle. Now, Mark Keown on, on match of the day, they gave, Newcastle all the credit for that, didn't they? Which is which may be fair enough. Other, I think I've seen other people, other fans say Saka and Martinelli were very quiet, particularly Saka. What, what? How did you see our performance in the round? Well, in in the round, the performance actually mirrored the season, didn't it? Which is it's not quite sparking like last year, and it's become a bit more solid, but at the expense of being creative. I think last year we went to an you know, and played an informed Newcastle with that crowd behind them, and which is too good. And this year, like you say, it was attritional, and it was kind of like, you know, the mindset seems to be, oh, we were robbed of hanging on for a point, or is hanging on the right phrase or holding out for a point, you know what I mean? But something just isn't clicking across the team, um, particularly going forward. Now, there's a lot of change there, isn't there? It was basically a different midfield. Yeah. To, to, to last year and no doubt some of it lies in that um is this a good thing are, are we actually doing really well because of a bit of personnel change and a, a bit of injuries we're basically holding on to roughly the the same trajectory as last year and then when it clicks and when one or two of them find their form and he really knows his first 11 are we going to kind of take off in the second half of the season or is there a feeling that last year might have been a bit of a peak and it, there's been a slight degradation this year, including with the goalkeeper situation and a and a sixty million pound signing that no one quite seems to know where they fit or what they do or how it's working. And I couldn't give you the answer at the moment. I really, yeah. I really don't know. And I think in some ways, you know, how they come out of incidents like this has he created a bit of fire in their belly? Has he created a bit of a us against the world mentality, or does it sort of come across? a little bit like, oh, he's cracked. Oh, he's not quite, you know, he's not quite as measured or in control of everything. And this is what you get when you've lost a cup game midweek and and an important away game. I guess like all of these things, I'll be able to answer that in about six weeks' time. Mm. I mean, I did, yeah, that's fair. Um, But I I think I thought, Josh, actually, that Kai Kai Havertz had one of his best games for us, really, apart from that, you know, that foul, the whole thing rolled up. But I thought he did... I thought he did pretty well. He seemed to be more present. He seemed to be more involved in trying to advance the ball. He had a couple of neat, neat touches and neat through balls. It, I just felt he's, he was more. He felt more present. I mean, he probably wouldn't have even played if it wasn't for certain injuries. But he did, and I thought he was okay. And um, I thought, um, you know, generally, like Saliba was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, Gary Neville was singing the praises of our whole defense through through. And the more he kept saying it, how brilliant the defense were. And I do think the defense has stepped up. You know, they do seem much much tighter. You know, and and um, Saliba is just world class, brilliant, brilliant yeah. um, performer. Um, then obviously, with you know, they all kind of fucked up when he left when it, when it when it came to the goal to some extent. But him and I also thought um, Declan Rice was brilliant yet again. A couple of like these incredible marauding runs and him, the way he kind of got the ball from them a lot was astonishing. Uh, what did you think, Josh, of the overall performance? I've seen people say we were terrible by that, and that's what I wanted to say. I don't think we were terrible. It was just one of those games, considering injuries, considering how Newcastle played. It would. I just thought you know the draw, the nil nil would have been fine. 
you've got to remember the last team I think to win in the league at Newcastle was us, right? Like a, a, an awfully yeah. long time ago. Um, delving back into into last season, there's a there has to be a level of respect for what what Newcastle have done. Um, and they didn't start the season brilliantly, but they they have obviously you know improved. Even making huge changes went to Old Trafford and were you know really dominant uh, in the Carabao Cup. You write about Havertz in a sense that I noticed him a lot more, but the bar is lower than yeah what it, what we would like it to be, right? So you know you can credit him for looking like he was more involved, but there weren't too many standout moments that you know we're all we're all going to recall. Um, defensively, I think it was interesting. T- Tommy Asu, he's run out of patience almost with Zinchenko after a few poor performances, and Tommy Asu probably deserved his. Um, place in the team to to come and make a point, but you know certainly at half time in the game, I was I was pretty satisfied with what yeah, what we'd done. You know, we we put in a fight, it's a real battle. We stood up for ourselves, and there was nothing in the game. And look, as we've discussed at length, that goal could have easily not been given. I think we probably deserved a point. We you know probably not more than that, and and it just didn't go our way. I think we could have won that game one 0 as much as we end up losing it one 0 and um, we just got to bounce back very quickly, you know, mm-hmm. severe. And then we've got, you know, we talked about having Sheffield United as an ideal fixture. Well, Burnley at home is uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much neck and neck. So, you know, we've got to be and, we've got to be thankful for yeah. that. And also there is an element of Liverpool not capitalising and yeah. uh, being Luton and even Villa, who, you know, could have gone above us today, falling at, at Nottingham Forest. So... Those uh, results went their way, and we'll see what Chelsea do at Spurs tomorrow night. Yeah, I think if the Liverpool, I thought the Liverpool game um, today, they you know they're getting a last minute draw at Luton puts puts our achievement into some kind of perspective or lack of achievement into some kind of perspective. The one thing before we go to a break, the one thing I you know I don't like picking out pundits. Well, sometimes I do, but I did think Izzy Christensen. She said. At the end of the match, but she didn't make this point at half time. I'm not having a go. I'm not encouraging a pylon, but she did say she thought that Newcastle wanted it more, and I thought that was such a weird thing to say. I was like, we, you know, when you, I thought all the players. You may criticise the skill levels and the creativity levels of that performance for, for all kinds of reasons, but I don't think any. I thought all the players were absolutely working their guts off. I thought to make that that was just a weird, slightly cliched point to make and I didn't think that was true that they wanted it more than we did they just happened to get a goal that had like four different possible reasons for it not to be a goal um, arriving in that situation but we'll talk more about the game and about the um, we've got European game coming up etc etc and more with Tim after this break and we're back from the break Tim did you did you see the uh, Izzy Christensen verdict am I being unfair to her as a pundit on Sky I thought that was a bit of a lazy comment. I think sometimes the mindset can almost pick up on a noisy home crowd and Mm. almost feel, well, look, there's 50,000 of them all screaming and shouting. And they do seem to scream at referees even more than Mikel Arteta, don't they? There is an unbelievable kind of knee-jerk from, you can hear it on every single decision that the referee is making. So I think that comment from her was a bit lazy. I think it's, it's picking up off a home crowd noise rather than the, actual performance that's going in it's also i think sometimes what you can read across is um being ineffective doesn't mean that you're not trying 
Yeah. And I think part oh, of the problem, I think part of the problem at the moment, particularly the forward line, is it's a bit ineffective or how the midfield and the forward line are connected or not connected. And that's kind of like maybe they're not good enough or maybe they're not being coached in the right way or, you know, they just aren't unlocking, using the key to unlock at the moment. That that doesn't mean you want it more, but I can see how that kind of tr- translates into a comment like that. I think where well, she did have a point, I think she made this point, um, I believe, uh, um, on, on her coverage, was that was the Martinelli and Saka situation and that, you know, she she I think she was saying that, you know, everyone's, kind of worked out that they are the players to nullify, which is obviously true. And I did think Newcastle did an amazing job of nullifying them. And I put that put their performances down to that more than, you know, them having them not being great. But I just thought yeah. they tactically well, but it goes hand in hand, doesn't yeah. it, Freud? Because it, if you've lost Odegaard, if you've lost um Ezus, it's in a way you nullify those two and you're nullifying everything. Yeah. So I think, you know, they've almost got well, more responsibility at the moment because there isn't the same creativity in the other positions. Correct. But that really puts shines a light on Eddie and Ketia, doesn't it? So, because I think this really was, I think all my kind of doubts about Eddie after his spectacular, brilliant hat-trick last week. Against when you were State, playing in the Sheffield United defence, it was you out there, wasn't it? It was me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I could have, yeah. Um, exactly. And he never ever scores, does he? Pretty much against bigger clubs, certainly away. He just, and, and again, he didn't come, there was just no possibility. It was partly he didn't, didn't obviously get any service, but there was just no shot possibility that he was going to score in that game. And I just, I think it does throw that into shot relief. Again, when, when Arteta calms down from the whole thing, he's going to have to look at, like on one level, they're asking on, um, I think they're asking Jamie Carragher or, or you know, do you think Arsenal's stronger than we were last year? And he had to kind of like think, well, you know, if it hadn't been for injuries, you can't really tell because of the injuries, it's hard to tell because we're obviously much stronger with Declan Rice. Havertz, not necessarily so. Raya, big question mark, you know, etc. So it is really hard to tell, isn't it? If, if we're, if, but I think we probably are stronger than last year, the squad. And I, and I, and I don't, and you, you were saying you don't know yet whether, you know, um, Last year is now going to feel like a one-off, and whether I don't, I don't think it does. I think I've seen enough to think that the project is still on, you know, etc. But I do think he has to buy a striker in January, and I don't know if we can afford. I'm sure you'd know more than me. I saw, I think Darren Arsenal said on Twitter yesterday, I saw we can't afford Ivan Tony 105 million or whatever. No, no way can they. Um, well, if you think about it, they couldn't afford the Brentford goalkeeper, you know, and there's this slightly complicated loan system with a right to buy but that was primarily put in place for cash flow reasons now i think they can afford the striker in january but not at 100 million no mm. they can't mm. josh do you think is this, this is do you think the eddie situation has been you know we, we, we've kind of this has highlighted that we really do need to get back up because i mean he also the other thing is he 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 seemed to get you know he could have gone off injured in that game yesterday thankfully he's okay but then we'll, that would leave us with no fit strikers unless you count putting kai Havertz up there well the eddie uh debate goes on what do we title last week's podcast the enigma mm. of eddie and so it goes on i, I didn't realize his away record was was quite as bad um, as it is, and uh, I read there was a piece that uh, Adrian Clark actually did, our, our former player, was on the Premier League website, where I think he said that Eddie has has never scored in more than one away match in a single season. Um, wow. Finding the net, finding the back of the net in just four of his fifty-one Premier League appearances outside of Emirates Stadium. 
And those are the stats that if you want to uh, argue against Eddie and Ketia, that you will you will certainly turn to. Um you did wonder if there was a possibility of, you know, Kai Havertz playing up there or or Trossard playing up there, but that likely would have felt harsh, wouldn't it, after Nketiah scoring a hat-trick against Sheffield United and he was able to and fit to that he wouldn't go lead the line at Newcastle. But, you know, I, th- I think I think it won't be the the last time in terms of seeing Havertz and Trossard being given the opportunity, as we as we saw earlier in the season, if uh, Jesus is, you know, going to continue to miss um, as many games as uh, seems seems likely you know but with him and party there just seems to be a inability to to stay fit and you know and and we can now add Emil Smith Rowe to that list as well which is really depressing I mean that's... really depressing because yeah. it seemed like he waited so long to be given an opportunity and given minutes this season and then it finally came and then immediately um immediately he's not involved again so yeah incredibly uh incredibly disappointing and there was the unusual situation wasn't it that that Odegaard's withdrawal must have been very late mm. because we ended up with two goalkeepers on the yeah. bench Hine, who presumably in just thinking about the logistics of this Tim might know in that there must always be that the third goalie has to just travel because if one of the two goalies that you need him and you need a generic sub, so there must always be these two extra uh, players. But um, yeah, Hein ended up on the on the bench. So good luck to him. Yeah, along with Cedric, you know, along with the uh, forgotten man, I think yeah. he was described Red as the forgotten man. Um, yeah, odd life it must be just pr- oh. just not getting a minute um, so as we go forward. Yeah, yeah. Are you I there just... on? Uh, Sorry, will Lloyd, I, go on. No, would I be there on Wednesday? Yes. Yes, you're going on yes. Wednesday. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a massive game, massive mm. game. Just to you know, because we we got ourselves in a brilliant position with what we've done um, away in Seville. Now we just you know, you kind of think we've got the two the two home games, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it would be brilliant. I'm just thinking, you know, you mentioned Cedric there. Wouldn't it be great if we did have a six game that didn't really matter? And we can give Cedric his minutes and and well, give more yeah. of these uh, players who have been sort of so limited in their opportunities um, game time. So he won't miss. Uh, it will. It's it's my first Champions League game at the Emirates in in five years, having not been oh, able yeah. to go to the ah. PSV game. So I'm I'm looking forward. I'll get there for the be getting there for the music, boy. Not like you slipping in five minutes into the game after your expensive snail eating on what are you talking about I always, green. I'm always there on time how dare you I'm always there on time what were you saying Tim well I was going to say that he will play his strongest possible team because for you know for the reason that it's so important there is also the advantage that if you can just nail a game on Wednesday you genuinely I think can think about rotating in the final two but his squad is stretched at the moment and if he plays his strongest team there are some players being pushed out there that you'd really rather they they were being protected for the Premier League games that are coming. But that that's life, isn't it? That's life of playing in the Champions League midweek and the and and the Premier League and the squad perhaps isn't quite balanced enough. They're also getting used to the rhythm of the Champions League again. You know, if we do what we want to do, which is stay in it for two, three, four years, I think there's almost a know-how that comes from the being up for it every three days and keeping going and, and 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 getting through that kind of thing. And I think we're still learning that this year, which we partly see with the performance in long. Yeah, completely, yeah. 
Um, did you see, by the way, that the the Seville um, Celta Vigo match with the VAR talking of VAR? Do you see that the, the um, Celta Vigo player threw the VAR monitor <laughs> to the floor? <laughs> to the floor, yeah. After being, it, it, yeah. Which is a maybe fantastic. he yeah he could yeah an Arsenal statement couldn't he yeah because people <laughs> were saying people were saying oh is it just why is it just in this country the VAR oh, is so shit well I mean clearly in Spain when 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 players are grabbing the monitor and throwing it to the floor it's not doing that well in uh... one of the things that is so frustrating is you know is the myopicness in many ways of people say oh everywhere else in the world their referees are wonderful and they're really happy with VAR you talk to German fans you talk to Dutch fans yeah. you talk to Spanish fans they feel it's as inconsistent and that they, they all the decisions go against them and where are we at and i'm not so sure that if you really did an analytical study that you'd find that what is being delivered in the premier league is you know is below the standard of anywhere else yeah i think exactly there's an assumption yeah again going back to the statement you know the statement is all the things about you know the best in the world, this that and the other. I'm not you know you absolutely it's slightly sure. also arrogant or oh, we're the best in the world yes. best in the world at what? If you're the best in the world, Arsenal, then why haven't you won more European trophies in recent years? Yeah. You know, or all the others. Um, I'll tell you where we'll really get a breakthrough on this. If the clubs really believe what they're saying, they need to start acting when it's not you involved. Because when it's your own club and you talk about, you are looking at it through a certain lens. You are, you know, you are actually getting the, the measured people in the rest of the football world laughing at you saying, oh, ups and downs look at it what what we need to say i would almost ban let's ban arsenal talking about arsenal var decisions and liverpool talking about liverpool var decisions and make them comment on each other's and that way you might actually see a bit more measured progress that, that's a good point because of course a lot of people there was uh, people found a Mikel arteta quote wasn't there from um, like a month ago when he said you know we haven't we shouldn't be getting carried away i'm paraphrasing massively <laughs> but he said something to the effect of let's not get hysterical about var you know um so yeah it, I, I i do agree with that i think that that's i mean i, I you know he, he can say and do what he wants i thought it was interesting declan rice um was talking about how he, in, in another, every interview with Declan Rice is really interesting because he's so kind of honest and interesting. So he was saying how Mikel Arteta does, gives them different a different team talk, a different plan every single game, you know, how inspirational he is. And I think probably even this anger, I bet all the players are behind him, you know, in the, in this thing. So again, I can understand his his being that angry because I'm sure I'm sure it does psychologically help them rather than let them feel... Because I thought, because the other thing that... Um, that Declan Rice said it was when losing these any point you drop in this situation is because it's so tight at the top because you expect Man City particularly to go on and win every pretty much every game apart from the one we beat them in. It feels like such a massive blow, and I think this losing that game to Newcastle feels like a massive blow because our unbeaten run came to an end. And I have to say, I don't like to mention them obviously, but because Spurs are you know a few points ahead of us and could go top again tomorrow if they beat Chelsea. All of this contributes to a sense of massive frustration, I think. Yeah, I think that's undoubtedly right. Um, but if you look at where you're trying to get, and I'm sure I'm sure the players actually welcome the deflection probably as much yeah. as the anger, um, but, and, and that's part of what's going on. But if you actually try and think sort of strategically or constructively about where this is trying to go, you want better referees, right? So you want to actually encourage more people to come in and do it. 
Um, also, and I know Arsenal haven't quite said this, but the implication of what a lot of people say is, well, you've got to sack someone every time they make a mistake. But is that not going to just make it worse? Because mm. I assume they are using the best that they have. Now, no doubt they can be better. But if you're going to clear out half of what you've got now, you have to accept it's going to be even worse. And unless you genuinely believe, but they're not choosing yeah. the best people to go in and do the role now. I mean, let's actually think through what you're calling for or where this is heading. Maybe we should bring in a few overseas refs and see how it goes. But I will bet you every that down to my sort of last Arsenal pound that if we bring in lots of overseas refs within a year we'll be hating all of them because they're all biased and conspiracy against Arsenal because of some incident that happened to them on a visit to Highbury in 1994. I found the quote this Arteta quote so this happened after the famous Liverpool Spurs game when people were saying you know maybe that referee should be banned from officiating etc this is what Arteta said I don't know it's something that we don't have a say on we don't manage I think they're trying to make the best decisions this is referees they're trying to protect the game they're trying to get as much support and be ruthless when they need to be at some point as well this is PJMOL I guess at some point as well we need to give support and understand that mistakes happen we've made mistakes as well and if the pressure is so much then it's very difficult to manage <laughs> Josh it is rather unfortunate isn't it that you know I mean that is a very sensible statement by him by the way if you say it's sensible Boyd I uh, <laughs> I follow you implicitly I will never never argue against you I mean that what I mean that quote rather I mean the, the quote about you know let's let's you know let's give basically say let's let's understand the referees make mistakes like we all do yeah yeah the only thing you're guaranteed is football, right? I mean, Carragher yes. sums up. This is what this is what football football yeah. does to you, and you're in the moment. And you know, especially when the pressure is on you at that level, in a way that we can't quite understand, right? We 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 love it, but you could tell from the documentary, if nothing else, but how how they live it, right? How how the pressure it mm. puts on you. And how you can't stop thinking about it, and you've worked relentlessly all week on a plan, and you feel robbed and cheated. And how did Martin phrase it on match of a day? He said something along the lines of he could have taken a, a few deep breaths before he before he spoke, or, or something like that. And he's right. And um, mm. but that's very easy to say once you, you're you're reviewing it five hours later on a TV show, and you know you're you're mm. viewing it not as the one that was on the touchline in charge of a team. So, For sure. But life will be a lot more simple and relaxed if we all accept. You'll ask for predictions in a minute, Boyd. Yes. The only prediction I can make about the Sevilla game and be 100% accurate on is all 25 people on the pitch will make an error at some point. Mm. That That is football. That's kind of like why it's watchable. And it's the only thing you can say with certainty, isn't it? They will all make mistakes. I'm not sure if Saliba will, but yeah, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I this think is a, this is a fair point. I was going to yeah. say Declan Rice has been, you know, like maybe a pass goes one millimeter off its trajectory because he yeah. is he is almost mistakeless at the moment. Yeah. Before we ask for before we ask for predictions, are you are you worried about the other North London team? Do you have concern? Any concern, or do you think it's just a flash in the pan and they'll 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 fall to their you know to a natural kind of fifth sixth position and we don't have to worry about them? I don't know whether it's what I hope or what I think. Um, I do. I, I don't think the squad is strong enough, and I think they'll fall away. But then I have this nagging doubt that they're only playing thirty-nine games this season because mm. they got themselves knocked out the first cut early on, and no doubt they get themselves knocked out the other one early on. 
And there is just this nagging doubt that that makes a big difference. I mean, we talked about the impact of, you know, Arsenal have to go out midweek against Sevilla and then up for the Premier League again. And the game against Spurs at home, you could see our players fade in the second half after a European trip. So uh, they'll fall away, Boyd, but I don't, you know, I'd rather they just did that soon. Stop stop me worrying. Yeah, I really, I've never wanted Chelsea to win a game so much in my life (laughs) as I do want them to to beat um, Spurs tomorrow. Because at the moment, Chelsea are like below... You know, they're below Nottingham Forest right now in the big <laughs> table. It's quite astonishing. So, yeah, they can win a game and it'll be absolutely fine. By the way, Man United, who've like that had the worst season ever. I, I just noticed this when Sky put up the league table today. They're only like, you know, two points behind Newcastle. And there's like, they're, <laughs> they're a complete disgrace to humanity. Um, so, yeah, anyway, the, 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 it's still early doors, I guess, is, the, is, is, is what we need reminding. Let's go on to predictions. Seville on Wednesday. What's going to happen, Josh? We are going to win 2-1, Boyd. Ooh. We're going to win 2-1. Um, it was it was such a big win uh, out in Seville, and I was, you know, impressed. I think I think we, we put in a, a great shift, great away Champions League performance, one to be proud of. And you hope that the anger that we've discussed at huge length that uh, Arteta displayed does give them a kick up the arse because we haven't even talked about West Ham away boys. And I've got to tell you, and I, Oh God. Yes. I own up to, I own up to this. I left on about 78 minutes and I have not left the Arsenal game that early in a very long time. And I mean, um, no one can blame you. No one can blame you. Apart from maybe Alan Alga. I mean, I I only saw the Odegaard goal a couple of, you know, when I got home, the away end is as empty as I've ever seen. In a way, Odegaard's barely got anyone to sort of acknowledge the goal. It's just it's just seats up to seats. So, yeah, it was inc- incredibly disappointing the the performance at West Ham, and there were enough players on the pitch that it, it should have been better. And Tim's articulated absolutely correctly that players will make mistakes, and Ben White made a made a big one. There'll be you know fingers pointed yeah. at, at Ramsdale for the third I don't think we we shone in the build-up to the second either so yeah massively disappointing to have yeah. a couple of sort of consecutive defeats so it, it's a huge game but um I think yeah, we'll Ben see. White Ben White had to change his hair in reaction to it I think fair enough um you know and uh yeah I should mention actually Steve Proud proudly of our gang of our um Arsenal WhatsApp game went to that game you know a rare away game for him I think I think it must have been one of the worst, ended up being one of the worst nights in uh, in living memory. Uh, very sad, the whole thing. I did feel really sorry for for the goalkeeper as well, for Aaron Ramsdale. Because when I said, you know, um, I, earlier in the podcast, Aaron Ramsdale hasn't made any mistakes of led directly to a goal, that was obviously uh, a, a fairly idiotic thing to say. Um, what do you think, Tim? What's your prediction for the Seville game? I do think we might labour a little bit. I think, you know, after that huge effort and some of the emotion around it. I think getting off to a good start, getting a goal in the in the first half or the first 60 minutes would be really helpful. I think overall they'll have too much for it, but I think it might be a laboured 1-0. Yeah. I think I'm going to go one all. I think there might be a, a disappointing home draw. And then um, who are we playing on Saturday? We are playing... Um, Burnley, boys. Come on. Burnley. Come on, Sorry. boys. Yes, three o'clock. Another three o'clock Saturday kickoff. Um, God, yeah, what's going to well, happen? Burnley seemed determined to keep to a style of football that has looked <laughs> like it isn't working. 
And I can very much hope that they don't take a change in approach when they when they come to the Emirates on Saturday. This, as I mentioned earlier, after Sheffield United, should be our, our easiest game of the season. They just seem so keen on, you know, taking chances and, and playing out. And I'd like to think uh, we, we'll have too much for them. So 3-0 to the Arsenal. Yeah, Tim? If they come and do what PSG did, which is think we'll try and match you at football... It, you know, it'll be very welcome and it'll be another 4-0. Yeah, I was going to go 4-0, yeah. I might go 4-1. I might, I think they might they'll score an annoying goal. But in general, yeah, I think that's... that's Thank God we're playing them. You take, you'd think, without wanting to be arrogant about it, because, of course, Liverpool did fail to beat Luton. Cut, somewhere along the line, company's going to throw the towel in, isn't he, and say, right, double, yeah. you know, double lock. Um, yeah, probably against us. I imagine. Yeah. Maybe. Low block. Yeah. <laughs> All 10 stay back. Yeah. <laughs> Let Before this I forget, get round us. <laughs> Before I forget, I want to make a shout out to, I met this brilliant couple um, in the week on Friday at an event I hosted um, for ITV, their new drama about Cary Grant called Archie. And this brilliant couple came up to me and said, how, how they listened to the podcast. And they've been listening right from the beginning. And I, I think they said they've never missed an episode. And I was absolutely taken aback by that. Of course, I've forgotten their names. They told me that. And I should have written them down. But maybe if, if either of you are listening, could you could DM me on Twitter or Instagram or something, and I'll mention your names next week. So just it just it just makes the whole feel, thing feel more, um, you know, um, important when you know there are people, actual human beings, actual intelligent, proper human beings are listening to the show. And, um, you know, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. So shout out to them. Let me know what you were called because I forgot. Anyway, um, uh, that's about it, I think. I think we're all I think we're all pretty much calmer now, aren't we, after that podcast? Very yeah. calm. Very, very calm. I'm, I'm just wondering what the barometer will be for statements in the rest of the season. Mm. You know what I mean? How many more, if you had to predict now, we're 11 games into the Premier League season. 27 well, to go. How many more statements do you think the club are going to put out after games? Well, I think what yeah. I said already, other clubs will do the same because I think it's now almost become a bit of a rite of passage that, you know, you get stuck in behind the manager and you just throw some welly at it. I don't think you'll see another one from Arsenal, but I think you'll see every club do it because there'll also be this yeah. great fear amongst the other 18 that Liverpool and Arsenal are now going to get easier treatment because they've gone for it. Um, and so you'll see all of them going for it on a view that we don't want to be left behind on trying to influence. And I think that's sadly a bit of a race to the gutter by everybody. Well, I mean, that is, you know, that people are saying that's a valid reason for him to for us to do all this because, you know, maybe it will subconsciously help us get a few more decisions, you know, and if that's the case, well, you know, maybe. Anyway, we could talk about this all night, but, um, you know, we have got lives to live. Uh, thank you very much, Tim, as ever. Cheers, Josh, and we'll be back uh, this time next week. Cheers, bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.